Good morning. I'll be reading our scripture this morning. If you'd like to follow along, we're in Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. Acts 20, starting in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be all alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. Good morning. My name is Jeff Davis. I am not a pastor or elder of this church. As a matter of fact, I don't even have a beard. That, that disqualifies most of the guys here. No, there, there's a specific reason why uh, I have been asked to fill in for pastor elders today because the message you're going to hear today is addressed to pastor elders. It's probably not appropriate for one of our teaching pastors or perhaps a pastor elder to share this passage of Scripture. I'm, I'm delighted to, to just step in. And as a member of the congregation here, it's you and me we're going to look at what God's Word says this morning. We're going to try to find application for our lives. Um, even though this is addressed to pastor elders, I have some good news for you. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There's not just a message for pastor elders here. There's a message for the, message for the church as a whole 
There's a message that you and I need to hear about how we as a church ought to be operating. Um, I'd like to attack this passage of Scripture by asking three questions. And question number one is, what's happening here? What, what is the context? Uh, when I was in seminary, I had a uh, Bible professor who said that content without context is a pretext for missed texts. Content without context is a pretext for mystics. We're going to miss something unless we understand what this picture of what's going on here, what it looks like from about 30,000 feet. So what's going on? That's the first question. And the second is, what's up with all the crying? These are senior leaders in the church. And for some reason, they are moved emotionally to a place where they are embracing one another and crying. And we need to find out what that's all about. And question number three is, so what? We need to stop and think about applications for this particular passage of Scripture for you and for me. And I'm hopeful that at the end of our time together, you'll have one or two more things on your checklist to do this upcoming week. We're going to be specific about the kinds of things that we ought to, uh, we ought to undertake. I liked watching the Super Bowl. But I like watching the Super Bowl now, after it's all over. I don't really like watching the Super Bowl very much on the day that it actually takes place. You know, there's uh, an an awful lot of angst about which team is going to show up really ready for the ball game and and who's going to have that one or two decisive play. I don't have to deal with that. When I'm on the treadmill now, I can turn on the Super Bowl because I already know what the ending is. Now that I know what the ending is, I can go back and watch each individual play, and I can watch the strategy play out. I don't have to worry what the ending is. And this morning, you ought to know what the ending of our time together is going to be. Here it is. If you take nothing else away from this morning, I want you to capture this. I hope you'll see that Paul's call to action for the church is exactly the call to action that we ought to have today. What what he's going to tell these pastor elders is something that we need to hear and we need to act on together. I want you to look forward to that. If we're going to make this work, I I think we better start with uh, a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, you have put these words in black and white for us to see and to study. Uh, There is a message here for us, and I pray, as I always do, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you. And I pray, Father, that uh, the folks who have come out this morning would hear absolutely nothing that I have to say, and they would not miss a single thing that you have to say to them. Father, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a look at the context first and foremost. What is happening here? Um, By the time you get to chapter 20 in Acts, you are three quarters of the way through this great book that details the history of the establishment of the Christian church. We're coming to the end of Paul's time out in the field. Uh, Bible scholars say he spent about 10 years on this missionary endeavor that he's on. That's a long time. Pastor Benjamin described for us um, over the last couple of weeks that, that this is kind of a circuitous journey. Paul's going to go sort of in a circle, and he's going to hit major cities and areas of influence 
uh, in Turkey, uh, in Greece. And we're going to find on the third missionary journey, he's spending a lot of time in areas that he hasn't touched before in in Asia Minor. Um, This journey is going to take about 4,000 miles. The previous two weren't quite as long. Paul really senses that this is now the opportunity to strike while the iron is hot, to get out there in the field and really do something that's going to matter. And now he's on the other end of this third missionary journey. He's heading back towards Jerusalem, and he has one final speech that he wants to give. Uh, Again, Pastor Benjamin outlined for us that when you're looking at Paul and the addresses that he gives, they generally fall into one of three categories. We have Paul giving a farewell address, which you're going to see here today. Uh, We have Paul giving doctrinal addresses. What what does uh, the Torah say? How does it apply to our lives? And and then we have messages of encouragement coming from Paul. He names names. He says thank you to lots of folks for doing things that will advance the, uh, the, the cause of the gospel. Well, I got some good news for you. This morning, you get the trifecta. All three things are in this final speech. Now, in the field of psychology, we have something called the theory of primacy and latency. We, as human beings, generally tend to remember the first things in a list and the last things in a list. I was in uh, law enforcement for many years in the military. Uh, In a court of law, a a confession, a bedside confession, carries a lot of weight because those are the last words you're ever going to hear from the person who observed or was involved in a crime. These last words of Paul deserve some extra special attention on our part. He saved the Lollapalooza for the last message. Are you ready? We need to get to it. Paul's job at this particular point in time Paul's method of operation never changes, and his message never changes. I think that's really important to stop and and, and mention. Paul is interested in sharing the gospel first and foremost, and in establishing churches and doing some discipleship work. He's done that faithfully and consistently all the way through missionary journey number one, all the way through missionary journey number two. He's in the end of missionary journey number three. You know what he's doing? He's reinforcing the discipleship nature of the local church. He's going to get after these pastor leaders, and he's going to tell them, you better share the gospel. Look at my life. Look at what I've done. And that's what we're going to look at. We also see here that he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And he's in a bit of a hurry to get there. He's not actually going to go to the location where the church of Ephesus meets. He's going to pull into Miletus, which is the port city that's about three miles away from Ephesus. He doesn't want to go into Ephesus, according to Bible scholars, because if he gets there, he's going to get tied down with too much social activity. He really wants to get back to Jerusalem. And so he calls for the leaders of the church at Ephesus to make their way back to this port city and and to meet with him, almost dockside. Let me have one last opportunity to talk to you, and then i got to get back to Jerusalem. Why is he going back to Jerusalem? Because of the Pentecost. Now, <clears throat> this, this requires a little bit of historical background, so stick with me for just a minute. 
The nation of Israel is an agrarian economy. Uh, they survive because of what they are able to grow in the promised land. Um, there is some, uh, some cattle care here too, but it, it's largely an agrarian economy. And, and there are several times during the year when there are feasts that are held to celebrate God's goodness in providing the crops that are needed to keep the nation of Israel alive and well. And the first feast that's held is the, the early one, that's called the Feast of the First Fruits, and that's when the barley harvest comes in. That's in uh, around the middle of April. The beginning of the summer harvest is when the wheat starts to come in, and that happens 50 days after the harvest of the first fruits. The word Pentecost is literally translated 50, 5 zero. Because there are 50 days between the first time we're going to thank God for the increase in, in barley and the second time we're going to go to God, we're going to have a big feast, we're going to have a celebration, everybody's going to come in, there are a lot of people that are gathering together, and we're going to say thanks to the Heavenly Father. That's when this Pentecost takes place. Now, uh, take your pew Bibles, if you didn't bring your own with you this morning, and turn to the second chapter of Acts because really nifty happens here. Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost is fully come, they were all there with one accord in one place. They're talking about the disciples now. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues such as a fire and it sat on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues. That's, uh, they began to speak in languages that um, were a part of this conglomeration of folks that gathered from all over the region. There were different dialects that were represented. And all of a sudden, miraculously, the disciples are able to understand what they're saying and able to communicate the gospel with them. This is what we remember as the Pentecost. Um, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the birthday of the Christian church. That's what Pentecost is. This is when the mission is laid on to the church to spread the gospel throughout the known region in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is where the Christian church starts. Now, we're 30 years down the road from that particular event, and Paul is in a hurry. He wants to get back to Jerusalem. Because he wants to be there for this celebration. Imagine you're in Jerusalem and the Apostle Paul is going to come and he's going to be with you at the Pentecost. They've got to be excited about that. He also carries with him a gift, a financial gift from the Gentiles to the poor Jews who are living in Jerusalem. So he's got, he's got a gift for them as well. Listen, I, I want to take uh, just a minute here and, and step back from our passages of Scripture and talk a little bit about the messenger that's coming to the Pentecost, uh, Paul. Um, it, it is my privilege to teach uh, classes at a Christian university uh, online <clears throat> uh, on Christian leadership. And if you're a student in one of my classes, one of the things you're going to do is research on some good leaders in scripture and, and you're going to take 
their actions apart. We're going to come up with a list of the kinds of character traits that can be found in really good leadership in a scriptural setting. One of the things that my students will read is the job resume for Paul, and it comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. I'm going to read just a portion of that. This is 2 Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 28. Some of the things that Paul has had to endure as he served as a missionary. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've been in the deep. Journeys often, perils of water and robbers and my own countrymen and, and against the Gentiles, perils in the city, in the wilderness. Paul goes on and on and on to talk about the kinds of things that he's experienced. I want you to know that as we look at his message to the pastor elders in Ephesus, this guy's got a ton of credibility. Can I have the first slide, please? <clears throat> It says here that he was beaten not once, not twice, not three times, five times. This is generally a Roman punishment, and it comes with a, uh, about a foot-long piece of wood or metal, and attached to it are three leather straps, and, and, a, and tied into those leather straps are pieces of metal or broken glass. And if you have this instrument applied as a punishment you would be hit 13 times and that's how you come up with 40 stripes minus one. It made Paul's back pretty much look like hamburger. This guy is tough. This guy is committed. This guy has perseverance as his middle name. He just doesn't quit. He knows what his mission is and he is after it. You have to understand that it takes perseverance, it takes commitment, it takes a serious nature to do what it is that Paul is going to tell the pastor elders and the church at large is our mission in this world. And you're going to come up against some pretty tough circumstances. Nothing like Paul did. At this particular point in time, Paul is in Miletus. He gathers the Ephesian church together. And look what's happening here. There are tears. We're going to read through uh, chapter 20, verses um, 20 through 29. And and we're going to look for specific descriptions of the ministry of Paul. The tears are here because they love Paul. Not necessarily his personality, But their loyalty to Paul is based on his message of truth. This isn't sappy homesickness. These folks know that this is the last time that they will probably see Paul. He said as much. Kathy and I have some uh, experience with this saying goodbye thing. Uh, In 18 years that we were on active duty in the Air Force, we moved our household nine times. That's a process where the federal government says, okay, you're done here. You're going to move over here. They're going to send a moving truck to your house. You pick up everything that you have, and it's going to go away for about six or eight months. 
You can take your family, get on an airplane, you go to the next spot, you wait for the household goods to come. Entertaining three children without their toys and their books is an interesting experience. Two of those moves were particularly tough. They were overseas moves. I remember one specifically. We were asked uh, to take on a security mission over in Germany. This is during the Cold War. Kathy's parents drove us, and our, we had two children at the time, drove us to the airport, and it was in New Jersey. We had about an hour to wait for our flight before we were shipped off to Germany. And they knew and we knew that at this particular point in time, there are no cell phones, there's no Zoom, there's no Skype. There's going to be a period of long family separation and they're not going to get a chance to see their grandchildren grow up for several years. Young officer didn't have an awful lot of money. We knew we weren't going to be able to come home. I vividly remember taking my daughter from the arms of her grandmother. Man, it was hard. It was tough. And that's nothing. That's nothing compared to what Paul went through. So he's saying goodbye to these pastor elders. And he's got one final message for them. And the things that he tells them in this message are the things that we ought to be paying attention to this morning. Look at verse number 20. Paul says, I didn't keep anything back from you that was profitable. He gave them the whole counsel of God. I've showed you, I've taught you publicly and from house to house. There are Bible scholars that say that in order for Paul to be given permission to speak publicly in an arena or a square, he must have had some social standing. This guy was no slouch. He was given an opportunity to speak publicly on behalf of Jesus and he took it. Paul personally preached the gospel to them. Now, you're going to see a little bit of alliteration here. I'm sorry, I'm an old guy. He's personally preaching the gospel. Let me stop here and ask, if if I were to question you, and I want you to raise your hands, I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. If I were to say to you, what is it that we're trying to communicate? What is the gospel? Do you know where you could go in the Bible and see the gospel in a nutshell? Some of you might suggest John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a good place, but I'm going to suggest something else to you. I want you to take those pew Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. This is the gospel in a nutshell how that Christ died according to the scriptures and he was buried and the third day he rose again. The gospel, ladies and gentlemen, the very heart of of what we're trying to communicate to an unbelieving world is who Jesus is and what he did for us. That's the gospel. You hear really good pastoral teaching from this very spot every single Sunday, and we talk about the gospel, but now you know what it is and where to find it. That's what Paul does. And he never wavers. He doesn't tire of giving the gospel. Verse number 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this is terrific because he preaches without discrimination. 
You want a role model to follow? Paul is here. And he's preaching publicly. He preaches personally. He preaches publicly. And he does this with humiliation. With humility. He, He doesn't think more of himself than he ought to. He says, look at my life, but he's not interested in having people do things because Paul did them. He's interested in having them do things that, that Paul is doing because Paul is following Christ's example. It's a great old-time preacher, <clears throat> Harry Ironside, uh, from the First Presbyterian Church in uh, Philadelphia. And this is what he says about this encounter. We see in Paul the ideal minister of Christ, characterized by a lowliness of mind and a tenderness of heart that comes out in this testimony. He serves the Lord with all humility of mind. He is not ashamed to weep with them that weep. Pastor Benjamin mentioned as he started that uh, Kathy and I have been missionaries for uh, a little bit longer than this church has been around. I, I think we were the first missionaries that were part of the support budget here. So it's been over 20 years. In those 20 years, I've had the privilege of uh, working with uh, dozens and dozens of pastors. Would you let me tell you that the pastors that you have here all share this one common characteristic. They love you. They have a heart for serving you. I have seen it. I have been on hospital visits with, with a pastor that's here. I have heard these men talking amongst themselves when no one else was listening back in the office. You are blessed of the Heavenly Father because you have men here who are honestly after your best interest when it comes to the gospel. So Paul preaches personally and Paul preaches publicly. Paul preaches persistently. Look at verse number 24. He makes sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. He does go to Ephesus. He spends three years in Ephesus, and not once does he ask them for a dime for support. Paul is a tent maker, and he not only provides support for himself, but also for some of the others who are in missionary service as well, some of the ones who are with him. He's persistently making personal sacrifices. When you look back at his resume, um, he says that he is part-time sleepless, part-time hungry, part-time thirsty, in fasting often, in cold, in nakedness. This guy's made sacrifices. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. A good leader knows the way. A good leader shows the way. A good leader goes the way. This guy is not just blowing smoke. He knows what he's talking about. Personally, publicly, persistently, and verse number 26, passionately. He passionately gives himself to ministry. He is dauntless. There is nothing this guy is afraid of. He's been warned several times on his way back to Jerusalem. If, if you go back there, you, you're going to face some trials and tribulations, and you may even die. Paul's answer most likely would have been, I'm dead already. What are you talking about? He has given his life over to Christ. There isn't anything that matters to him outside of sharing the gospel, building discipleship, establishing the Christian church. And then verses 28 and 29, he persuasively shares 
the consequences of not working for the kingdom. Take heed to yourselves. Watch out. You have to have your own life straight first before you start preaching to somebody else. Unless the Holy Spirit is active in your life, unless you're doing ministry in the right way, you're a lousy leader. That's what Paul is telling him. Take heed to yourself and then to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer to feed the church of God. With what? With the seeds of the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And he mentions to these pastors that God himself has purchased the church with his own blood. For I know this, Paul says, I'm absolutely convinced after my departing, grievous wolves are going to enter in among you and they are not going to spare the flock. There's going to be some damage here. Turn with me in your Bibles over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I want you to see what's going to happen when all is said and done. If you go to Revelation chapter 2, you have a message to the church at Ephesus. Starting in verse number 2. I know your works, says the Heavenly Father. I know your works and your labor, your patience. You don't bear those who are evil. Thou hast tried them, which they say are apostles. They're, they're claiming to be somebody that they aren't. And you found them liars. <clears throat> You've done this with patience. For my sake, you have labored. You haven't fainted. Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. I want that to sink in. Now, I fully recognize that when I point a finger at you, there are three that are pointed back at me. I'm ready to admit to you that for as long as we have been in this building and I have walked into this sanctuary, I have passed pictures of missionaries up there on the board. I've looked at the places where they are assigned. I've looked at the map and then walked right past to come in to sit down to hear the next message from God's word. And and I'm ashamed of that. As a missionary myself, I know better. I could have very very easily added myself to to the mailing list of somebody else that was there. Kathy and I could spend some quality time praying about the needs of others in different missionary circumstances, but it never crossed my mind. I was just happy to be one of the folks who were up there on the board. We've taken steps to correct that. In God's grace and love, I'm now a part of the outreach team. We just got our assignment the other day, which missionaries we're going to be writing to and and calling and providing some support for. And I'm grateful for that. Have you walked past that board without praying, without thinking about being added to a prayer list? Paul would be a little upset if he were here just visiting. And and this is an area where I think he would try to shake us out of our COVID malaise. This is a call to missions work in the Christian church to do more fervently, to do with greater energy, with more initiative what Paul is asking senior pastors to do. It's not just their job. 
So in spite of all the good that's been done, Paul knows the trouble awaits. <clears throat> he thinks that he's going to Jerusalem and he will probably die. And we know from studying scripture that that's not exactly true. He's got another 10 years to live. Uh, he's going to be transported up to Rome. He's got to go through some trials there. Uh, there's a possibility that he is released from prison while he's in Rome and he travels to Spain. And he does get a chance to go back to Ephesus. There's a chance that that, that actually happened. We, we don't really know that. But Paul is sure that this is one of the last times he's going to see these folks. And so he has these words of warning for him, for them. But we can't quit this morning without saying, so what? What, what, what are we supposed to get out of a message to a bunch of crying pastors in this day and age? Can I have the next slide, please? <clears throat> I have three suggestions for you. Um, And the first one involves writing your own obituary. Uh, My wife came to me a couple of weeks ago, and she said, Jeff, she said, you know, if the Lord were ever to take you, I'm not sure that I would know what telephone calls I'm supposed to make. I don't necessarily know where all of our important information is. And so with that as my encouragement, I put together my instructions on homegoing. And in here, on the third page, is my obituary. Now, when you write an obituary, folks, you have to think about the things that you have done in your life. You have to think about the places that you have gone. You have to think about the people who are most important to you and and what you want to do about that as you leave this earth. Maybe this is a little vulgar to talk about at this particular point in time. Some of you are so young that this obituary stuff is a long ways off. But what I would say to you is that if you take some time and you reflect on the kinds of things that you're investing your energy and your initiative in right now, perhaps when you get to the place where somebody's going to be reading that obituary, they'll have some pretty nice things to say about your interaction with the kingdom. Number two, please. Next slide. How about committing yourself to missionary service? Stop walking past that board with the picture of all the missionaries and let's together revitalize this church's call and commitment to worldwide evangelism. Let's attend that meeting that's downstairs the next time it's held. Let's pray together for these folks who have left this home and a lot of them are in adverse circumstances. Imagine how difficult it is for them in the middle of COVID. Very difficult to even talk to folks about who Jesus is. But if we have a recommitment to the worldwide vision of evangelism for this church, then you won't fall into the same trap as the church at Ephesus. Number three. This is... um, kind of a personal pet peeve of mine. If you were to know personally what our pastor teachers have been through over the last year, it might make you blush a little bit. Trying to do ministry in a COVID environment, I'm here to tell you, these folks have really worked hard. Take this from me personally. <clears throat> Close your ears. Put Both of you. Okay. Spend some time this week and just write a little note and tell them some attribute of their character or their performance over the last year 
that you're grateful for, that you're thankful for. Let them know that you're praying for them. Let them know that you're standing behind them. Let them know that this is a team effort. That's what Paul wants from the pastor elders at Ephesus. He said, be very careful. Watch yourself. Feed the flock. And that's what they have tried to do. I've watched it personally myself. As these men give of themselves, as they make sacrifices, take away time from their own family so that they can meet our needs. I would love for you to find a way to engage with one of our pastor elders and encourage them. Because let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are wolves at every corner. Satan would love to tear this place apart. He'd love to get inside and cause us to do things, to think things. Yeah, you guys are fine. Yeah, don't, don't, don't worry. You're, you're a lot better than those other churches that are out there. When you begin to compare yourself with others instead of looking to the Heavenly Father, that's when we run into trouble. Let me close our time together with one of my favorite missionary stories. There was a missionary couple who came back to the United States on furlough. And when missionaries come home on furlough, they generally go around and they visit churches and uh, they talk to their supporters about what's been going on in in, uh, their missionary service. Um, They use this time sometimes to raise support. That's what furlough is all about. They were visiting a small country church. The pastor asked for a volunteer to host these missionaries on furlough, and, and the Browns raised their hand. But the Browns always raised their hand. They love to have missionaries in their home. And when these missionaries on furlough went to the Browns' home, they vacated the master bedroom so that they could sleep in the best bed in the house. They prepared some of the best meals that they possibly could for these missionaries who are on furlough. They even took them out and bought them some clothes so that they'd feel comfortable in our Western society as they visited churches back here in the United States. They're sitting at dinner one night, and the missionary turned to the youngest member of the Brown family, and he said, Hey, Timmy, um, let me ask you a question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Timmy never missed a beat. He said, I want to be a missionary on furlough. (laughs) That's a cute story but you better not. Heavenly Father, thank you for putting down in black and white this passage of Scripture that we can now look several thousand years later just to to get re-energized. Father, to recognize the problem in the Ephesian church was that lost of the first love. We're, We're... we're in the middle of what we call Valentine's Day, and, and we're supposed to be expressing our deepest personal love for the one, the love of our lives. I want to do that for you right now. Thank you for this thing that you call life, for the time, the energy, the capabilities, the abilities that you have given to all of us. And I pray as a member of the the body of this group of believers that you will keep us on a right path, pull us up, pull us closer to you. Father, we want to express love to you. Help us not to get sidetracked. Whether that's working on an obituary or making a new commitment to mission or or just being thankful, being grateful for what you have done for us already. 
Father, we, we, we ask for a level of initiative that's going to help us to make some positive change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.